listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. We've been doing this series called Let's Talk About It. And it's been a little, a little awkward for me because I really prefer just taking the text and moving through it and then applying it. Uh, this is more of asking questions about what's going on around us. And then how can we step into the conversation, step into it with uh, our representation of Jesus in mind? Like how do we represent Jesus in the conversations that are happening in the marketplace in which we're living in right now? The first week we talked about violence how are we predisposed toward violence? Well, how, how does violence exist in our culture? And then when do we bring violence to the table that we think Jesus probably would not bring it in that, in, that, uh, in fact, would he bring it at all? So if you didn't get a chance to be a part of that, I'd invite you to go and take a listen. Uh, last week, uh, we talked about politics. That was fun, wasn't it? And we talked about how that, that, uh, that, that we are in a political uh, society. Our, our American opportunity, our American experiment, if you will, this uh, democratic republic that we live in, it, it's, it's filled and consumed with politics because we have a say-so, and, and a lot of times we let that say-so become uh, more of what the world hears than the gospel that we've been commanded to communicate. So we talked a little bit about that. So if you if you hadn't if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, then go online. It's on there. I saw it. Go listen about politics today. We're going to talk about how do we enter into the conversation in issues involving a sub-community of our society that is identified by uh, an initialism known as LGBTQ+. How are we to enter into that conversation? Because if you've been outside your house, and even if you've stayed indoors and turned on the news, you know that that is a heavy topic of conversation in our country. So how do we as Christians step into that arena and represent Jesus? And so we're going to try to hit that. I got a lot of notes. It's going to be really difficult for me to get through this. And I'm not going to answer all your questions. And I'm probably not even going to get into the things that you really want me to get into. But when we get finished, hopefully we will have come to a conclusion that God has called us to engage this group of people. And he's called us to represent Jesus as we do it. But first, let's just kind of, if we can, establish a foundational baseline. Can we do that? Let's just establish a baseline because we're going to be talking about a, a group of people that is, that is identifying in, in, a, in, in an arena of sex and gender. So let's just see if God's word has something to say about uh, human sexuality. I believe it does. In fact, this point that I would like like to make is that God has created and blessed human sexuality. God has created and blessed human sexuality. If you believe that, say amen. Okay, Genesis chapter number one, verses 26 through 28. 
Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, Genesis chapter number one is a summary of the, uh, of the creation account. We're going to discover in a minute that there was some time that lapsed between God's making uh, man or the male and he created the, the animals and there was some interaction and then he created female. But Genesis one is a summary, if you will, of God's created order. He created them to be fruitful and multiply. He created them to be together. And then Genesis two will tell a little bit more about God's plan for this. Genesis chapter two, verses seven and eight says this. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living creature. Before I go any farther, I want to make it very clear and plain because there's a lot of question about how God did what he did in creation. As a church, we hold that the Genesis account of God's creation is exactly how it happened. That's What Genesis says is exactly how it happened. We don't believe that God utilized and and took evolution and and, and that Genesis 1-2 is a poetic way of talking about how God created created things through evolution. We don't believe that. We believe that what God says in Genesis 1 and 2 is exactly what God did. Now, when you get over into the seven literal days of creation, that's what I believe. I believe he created uh, the days, and I think there were 24 hours. That's what I believe. But you know what? It does not say that. So I'm going to hold that, though I'm going to hold that loosely. And I'm going to say that uh, at the end of the day, whatever Genesis 1 and 2 says, that's what happened. Okay, so I think it was seven literal 24-hour days, but since he didn't make that explicitly plain, I'm going to give room for God to be God and for me to be not. So whatever it says in Genesis 1-2 is what happened. So he said, let's make man, and he formed him from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. Verse 8, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Now let's jump to Genesis chapter number eight, uh, chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make for him a helper fit for him. Now, this is really uh, very special what God is doing. He's shown Adam that there were creatures, and Adam notices, hey, there's a male like me, and then there's a counterpart that that's a, that goes with that one, but I don't have anything like that. And God brought the animals, and Adam named the animals, and God says, now that you've seen how I've created, and I want you to understand that it's not good for you to be alone. I never intended for you to be a loner. Can I say that again out loud? God never intended for you or me to be a loner. 
That doesn't mean he has not cre- that, 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 that we have to be married. It just means he's created us for community. And this community that God is creating is the, the community that we call the home, the family. And so he says, I'm going to make, uh, I'm going to make for Adam, uh, a, a helper. And this is not talking about a sidekick. Sometimes we think about Batman, who's the hero, and Robin, who's the sidekick. Uh, women are not Robin. This, this idea of a helper, it's, it's, it carries with it the idea of a strong helper. Okay, it's, it's the idea that, that man is not complete, the male is not complete in and of himself. And by himself, he needs something that will, that will, that will fit where he is weak, be strong where he is weak. And, and God's going to create this, this counterpart, this strong helper to be weak where he is strong so that together they are they are better than they are by themselves. God is creating in us or created in us the need or the, 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 the void that is filled by community. And of course, that community involves one another and our connection to him. But that's a whole nother study. So God says, I'm going to make a strong helper, a strong helper. If you have a spouse today, you have a strong helper whose who's God's design is that they be the counterpart that make you stronger together than you are alone. Let's jump to verse number 22 and 25. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds and the heavens, to every beast of the field. For Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs, not God's ribs, he took one of Adam's ribs. So out of Adam himself, uh, uh, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse number 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. God created the home. God created the, 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 the sexuality of humanity in a very specific and awesome way. He created male and female. And just your middle school biology class will cause you to go, yep, that works. That's the way God designed it. And in the same time, he created the covenant together for this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave in, in covenant to his wife and they will become one together now stronger than they were on their own. You say, yeah, but that's Old Testament. I'll refer you to the words of Jesus in Mark chapter number 10, verses six and eight. While Jesus was being challenged about whether this no-fault divorce was okay in that society, Jesus, what side of the, of the, uh, of the fence are you going to fall on? Any reason we can divorce only through uh, sexual uh, uh, breaking of the covenant? How, how is that going to work? And Jesus said, well, you know, guys, 
from the beginning, God created them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. And Matthew says, and let no man tear them asunder. So if you think that God's created idea of male and female, it works, it fits, it produces children. We come together in a relationship, strong and and weak and weak and strong, and together we're stronger together than we are apart. That's God's plan. God designed human sexual expression to be exercised in covenant relationship between a man and a woman. God designed human sexual expression to be active in a covenant relationship where the two have made promises to one another and that they are man and woman. But here's what happened in the garden. You know, chapter number three sin and with the inclusion of sin into the created order man became broken in every facet inside and out man became separated from God through brokenness including the sexual expression the sexual nature of men and women has now been broken because of sin Sin broke human sexuality looks like this. And these are some of the things that the scripture says. So when, when sin breaks God's design for human sexual expression, which is in the covenant relationship between a man and a woman, when sin breaks this, then here are some of the things that are introduced into the society of humanity. Adultery. That sexual expression outside of the marriage relationship. You know exactly what that is. It's not okay for you to be expressing your sexuality within marriage and then also with someone outside. That is a broken, sinful sexuality. You've got fornication that the, word, that the scripture uses. And fornication is any sexual expression that is outside of the covenant of marriage. Any sexual expression. If you're a teenage boy and you're in the room right now and you say, so Pastor Kevin, what about, I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna let you get it out of your mouth. I'm gonna go, yes, no, 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 not okay. Yeah, but what about, not okay. Within the, within the confines of the marriage relationship, anything outside of that is broken human sexual expression. Does that make sense? We'll go on. Incest, sexual relations between members of the same family. Polygamy, having multiple wives and husbands. And I know what you're saying right now. You're going, uh, point of order, Pastor Kevin. Uh, I can think of about a dozen or more biblical heroes that had more than one wife. And I'll go, you're right, still don't make it okay because God established the home to be one. Homosexuality, the sexual expression between two of the same gender, of the same sex. Pedophilia, it is in our world and it is sickening and it is happening. Remember that Florida app that I told you about that gives me, I can't tell you how many that have come up just this past week 
that have been in this adult with child situation. It's there, it's broken. Bestiality, prostitution, pornography. See, at that point, almost everybody was probably thinking, a lot of us were thinking, well, no, no, yeah, ashamed of that. No, 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 no. When you get to pornography in today's era, you don't have to step out on your spouse. You don't even have to be known, but in secret, so many followers of Jesus are looking at pornographic images weekly, daily. If we knew what they were doing, we would be shocked. So many individuals standing in places on stages very much like this one. Broken sexuality through pornography. So the idea is God created and blessed human sexuality. He created it in the confines of covenant relationship through man and woman. That's still God's design, but sin has broken us. Any sexual expression apart from that within the biblical marriage relationship is considered sinful, immoral, and contrary to God's holy purpose for humanity. Does that make sense? But can I give you some hope? I, want to throw, I don't want to just sprinkle some hope in there. I want, to, I want to throw bucket loads of hope into that arena that says nothing in that list is unforgivable. Nothing in that list must define you or me. The blood of Jesus uh, shed for you when he was crucified and the victory that he gained when he was raised from the dead can cleanse us, 1 John 9 says, from all unrighteousness Regardless of what it looks like, regardless of what folks think about, we can be forgiven if through repentance and confession we let Jesus do what he can do. And he will forgive if we will just simply let him have it. If you are dragging around sexual sin baggage, that does not have to be your reality. If you will simply confess that sin, he would love to forgive give you today and set you on a brand new path with that baggage in the wind. Amen? All right. But we're talking about the LGBTQ community. So that comes under a bigger umbrella of homosexuality is really the biggest umbrella that we're talking about. And in the scripture, there are six passages that deal with homosexuality. If you don't have you version, if you're not following along, uh, then I'd invite you to write these down. I'm not going to deal with these. I'm not going to, I'm just going to tell you where they're at so that you can go and read them. Genesis chapter number 19, verses 1 through 19. It's the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Homosexuality is mentioned there. Leviticus chapter number 18, verse number 22. In the law, God mentions homosexuality and that practice in the law. In the same book, Leviticus chapter number 20, verse number 13, it's mentioned again. So three Old Testament, uh, uh, three Old Testament references, two books, Genesis, Leviticus. But then there are three New Testament uh, uh, instances where homosexuality is mentioned. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. 1 Timothy 1, verse number 10, 1 Timothy 1, 10, and then Romans 1, 26 through 27. 
Romans 1, 26 through 27. Those are the six verses, six sections of Scripture that talk about homosexuality. Now, you don't have any problem with me not going through those verses because I've already said, I've already stated it. I don't have to defend those verses. You know why? Because I've already stated it. We hold that all human expression sanctioned by God is to be is to be within the confines of covenant marriage between a man and a woman. And anything outside of that is contrary to God's design and under the umbrella of sin. So I don't have to defend those. I'm not going to defend those. In fact, I'm going to let you see our doctrinal statement, Andy, if you will. This is uh, section O of our doctrinal statement. And in fact, you don't have to believe this to attend Oasis Church. You don't have to believe this to be uh, uh, come to worship and, and be here and, and hear the gospel and be a part of the, of, the, of the festivities that we do and the luncheons and the things that we have. You don't have to believe this, but to be a covenant partner... We have to be agreed on this uh, letter number O of our doctrinal statement. It reads, we believe that sex and sexuality is God's gift to mankind for pleasure and procreation within the context of marriage, which is also God's design. We believe that God has commanded that no intimate sexual activity be engaged in outside of a marriage between one man and one woman. The next slide says we are committed. All right, so that's the nuts and bolts of what we believe. But we are committed to loving, what does that say, those of you who can see it? All. We are committed to loving all people as Christ loves them, but we firmly believe that sexual sin, as clearly uh, defined by the scripture, adultery, bestiality, bisexuality, fornication, homosexuality, incest, lesbianism, and pornography are unacceptable lifestyle choices. The next slide says, we also believe that gender altering by surgery or appearance is inconsistent with a biblical definition of sexuality. Marriage ceremonies performed in any facility owned, leased, or rented by this church or by any member of the pastoral staff will only be those ceremonies sanctioned by God joining one man with one woman as that gender was determined at birth. That's our statement. Now, why do we have that as a part of our doctrinal statement. Why do we have to have that? I'm going to tell you. Because in our country, it is coming necessary in order to avoid discrimination accusations to have clearly in our doctrine what our stand is on human sexuality. And so we put it there, and anyone who wants to be a covenant partner of Oasis Church must sign a statement in agreement with eight doctrinal essentials that we talk about from time to time here, and they have to be in full agreement with section O of our statement of faith and position so that everyone who is a covenant member, a covenant partner is in agreement. But that's where we stand. That's what we believe. Now, I'm going to give you some other presuppositions. As we move into just what is going on around us and what has happened in our society most recently, I want to make three other statements, and they're not anywhere in any notes. So if you want to write these down, that's fine. Before we even get going, 
foundational presuppositions. I wrote, we do not believe, but really it's not written down anywhere in our doctrinal statements. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to say, I don't believe. Okay. But since I'm speaking for we, I'm, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to say. We believe, but this is really what I believe. Okay. We believe, I, I don't believe that everyone who identifies as LGBTQ plus has made a choice about these actions. I don't believe that just because you identify in that group that you have decided that's what you're going to do. Meaning that I'm stepping out against what I could want in order to take something that I probably didn't want. I don't believe that everyone has made a choice, although some have. Because of that, I believe that some are truly born, if you will, with the attractions that they are simply living out. I'm not saying that God created them that way. I'm saying I believe there are some that have never been attracted to the opposite sex. Just like I believe that there are some folks that are born who are predisposed to take that one drink of alcohol and be hooked, whereas another can drink. That's why I believe that there are some who are predisposed to eat bacon with every meal and never experience any coronary issues. But there are some of us whose blood pressure goes through the roof. We are broken in our humanity. So I don't believe that everyone who identifies as LGBTQ is making a choice, although some have. Number two, I don't believe that everyone who identifies as LGBTQ have experienced some kind of trauma or abuse that has led them to this place, although some may have. I don't think that everyone has been abused in their childhood and so therefore now they're making sexual choices because, I don't believe that. Although I believe some have because there are instances and testimonies of folks that have grown up in in great loving households, in church, with loving parents, with father and mother and yet they still have the attractions that they have. Lastly, I don't believe that everyone who identifies as LGBTQ will experience freedom from their attractions or what is typically called orientation by exercising faith in Jesus Christ, although I believe some will. I don't think that everyone in that community, if their heart is right, will necessarily experience a change in their attraction, although some folks will. We, we do this in, in the rest of areas of our brokenness. Some folks trust Jesus as their Savior, and they say, I never wanted another drink. I never wanted another smoke. I never want." And then there are others that have struggled with a real desire for the rest of their life. So I'm just saying, I want, you to, I want you to understand that I don't believe in these ideas that everybody's made a choice or they've been abused or that if they just get their heart right, they'll stop liking members of the same sex. I don't believe that. And I don't believe scripture teaches that. But here's what I do believe. Jesus said to Paul in a situation where he did not choose to take something away from him that was born to him or come to him. I heard God say that, well, now, Paul, you know my grace is sufficient. 
And that's what God says about anything that we might wrestle with that we don't necessarily have victory over, even though somebody in this seat says, well, I've experienced that. Well, I haven't experienced that, and we need to make room for that reality. You are welcome to disagree with me. I will love you, and you won't be treated any different, but that's where I'm at. Now, let's talk about some things. There has been a modern social shift in our morality in regards to this issue. Let's go back a little bit. The sexual revolution of the 1960s, y'all remember that? Woodstock, free love, I mean, the hippie generation, whatever you want, let's do it. And it drove the older generation that was raising them bonkers because they were just seeming to let all morality go out the window of their VW bus. In the 1960s, and the sexual revolution has given rise to the celebration of almost any form of human sexual expression and practice. Almost. Sexual revolution has not made it okay for pedophilia. That is still taboo in society. And, and you have to ask yourself logically, why? Why is that so bad if everything else is okay? But we're not dealing with logic. I'm just sharing reality. Almost everything that was considered immoral is now okay because of or on the, on the, uh, the, the heels of the 60s and the sexual revolution. Also, it has given rise to social activism on behalf of those who identify with any and all of those expressions. So morality's gone out the window and social activism has risen to take on the cause of anyone who now feels like that they're being picked on because of their sexual choices or I should say sexual practices. So the 60s, thanks, gave us some great music, but they also gave us... A lot else. LGBTQ plus is an umbrella initialism that stands for these uh, subject matters. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and the Q stands for queer. If you are in that community, then, then queer is the name that you would use to talk about someone who is wrestling with their sexuality and don't really know where they fall. They would consider themselves queer. But outside of that community, it's not okay to use that word because that's heard as derogatory and the proper expression would be questioning. This is someone who goes, I'm not sure that I'm ready to call myself gay or bisexual or that I'm ready to be a transgender or or whatever. I'm just questioning. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, questioning. And then the plus stands for a host, anything we've missed, which can include uh, a term called allies. You may be a cisgender, which in our cultural uh, language today, cisgender means you were born with male uh, biology and you identify as a male on the gender box that you check. Okay, so that means that you were, you identify with whatever biology you were born with. That's called cisgender. A cisgender straight individual 
could identify with the LGBTQ plus community if they consider themselves an ally. Meaning, I'm not one of you by my practices, but I am for you and I will stand with you and I will march with you and I will hold my sign up with you because I'm for your uh, social activist part. So you could be a part even as a straight man that was born a man or a woman that was born a woman. But the plus also stands for pansexuals, polysexual, please don't make me tell you what those are, Google them, pansexual, polysexual, asexual, where you aren't, you know what, I'm just not into any of that, and you could identify as a part of the plus. That is the group, and that is their initialism, and that is the community in which we are socially connected to. And that is the conversation that we are a part of. But, but we've, we've moved. We've had a modern social shift, I think, primarily because the media. The media has fueled this conversation through news, movies, TV, print, and social media. You cannot turn on a television show from, from primetime cable, which you knew you what you was getting when you signed up for that. So that we're not talking about Primetime free networks and cartoons are now promoting. The media is normalizing things that, that out of the 60s has become normal, but normalizing them because of the activism that is being demanded. It is force-fed, if you, if you will. It's not just we want to give a picture of what is really happening in society, that, that we want this, this, uh, this comedy to be reflective of the actual community. It is designed to normalize, and that's media. The media has done a lot, and here's, here's what you need to understand. The LG, I'm, not, I'm not throwing stones. LGBT community will tell you that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true, and we're tickled that they're doing that. The media has brought bias and bombardment and celebration and inflation. What do I mean by inflation? I mean that, that most of us, if we watch the news and TV, would say that probably the LGBT community represents about 25 to 30% of our population. That's what we would probably think. The reality, it represents less than 3% of our entire population. Well, how do we get this idea? Media. They're slick. They know what they're doing, and that's what's happening. But not only that, there's been political movements in this direction. Political correctness. Oh, my goodness. Wouldn't you love for that thing to just be gone? Political correctness? Because I'm, I'm Southern. I don't get it. And a lot of times I got my foot all the way down my throat before I realize I've done defend, uh, offended half the folks listening to me. Marriage redefinition. Ober, Oberfell versus Hodges in 2015 was heard by the, uh, by the Supreme Court, which legalized in all 50 states same-sex marriage. It's, it's here. It's so that's, that's there. Public education, all the way down to preschool, indoctrinating them. Look, my biggest problem is not that they're talking about these 
um, ancillary sexual practices in, in preschool. That's not my biggest problem. My problem is they're talking about sexual stuff in preschool. That's not our job. That's not your job, public school. They're not listening. But anyway, that's not their job. But that's what's happening because of the politics. Gender wars, it's happening now. Who's going in what bathroom? What bathrooms do you have to make available to whom? However, locker rooms, and, and I'm identifying today in that locker room. And how in the world are we? P- political movements. Hate speech. Do you realize? Have I? Now, I know what y'all are going to say. Y'all are going to go, no, Pastor Kevin. I don't think I've said anything hateful this morning. Thus far, I don't think I've said anything to rock. I know sometimes I feel like my voice gets up too high, and I'm afraid sometimes y'all think I'm yelling at y'all. I hope you don't. But I don't think I've said anything derogatory or hateful or in any way, shape, or form hurtful. But do you realize that there are, there's legislation written that will call, just the fact that I am drawing a line and calling something different and saying that God's word says something is wrong. Do you realize that in some nations this is already considered hate speech? And that you could very well on the trajectory we're on someday be visiting your pastor in prison for saying something that we hold the scriptures. Do you, do you realize that? Do I realize? I am not cut out for prison, y'all. Okay? <laughs> I don't belong there. But that's the reality, right? Hate speech. And then the protected status that the Supreme Court's hearing right now. That is going, if, if the Supreme Court comes back on two cases that they've heard and if they've ruled, if they rule for the, the, what is the plaintiff? Yeah, I guess the plaintiff is the one bringing the, 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 the charge. If they rule in favor then the LGBT community is now going to be put on the same status as minorities. And that means anything, and, and you know what? I firmly believe in, in, the, uh, in, in, in that all colors and creeds and, and, and all of that is equal and it should be and I'm for that. But listen, that's not, that's not a race. But that's where we're at. Modern social, but you know, there's been a modern theological shift too. And by that, there's been a shift, our, our doctrinal statement, there's been shifts. Most Christian denominations have some form of representation in homosexual affirmation. I know that has a lot of Asian words. Most, so I looked it up, churches who have affirmed the homosexual agenda or the homosexual arena. Every major denomination. You go, wait, yeah, but not the Baptist. Yeah, there are churches that, I, that are, have Baptist on the sign and Catholic and Methodist and Pentecostal and Presbyterian and, and, and Anglican and Episcopal. Some denominations have wholly embraced it, but every major denomination in our nation here has in some form embraced the affirmation that the things we've said are contrary to God's design are also okay. So we've had a theological shift. There's another theological shift, and it is, it's called the gay Christian movement. It means there's a, a group of individuals who fully identify as LGBTQ+, 
and yet claim Christian faith. And, and there is a Christian gay movement. Now, here's what happens. In that, those six biblical passages that, that I said I have no intention of defending, I would have to defend those in that group because, because those no longer mean what they have meant for centuries. They mean something else. They have to mean something else in order for the two to hold hands together, that being uh, homosexual practice and uh, Christianity. In fact, I had an opportunity this week to talk to a friend from college who I want you to know something. I absolutely believe that he is a Christian. I have no doubt that he has trusted Christ as his Savior. But after I left, well, actually, before I left Liberty, he was instrumental in my journey from darkness. And let me tell you, I was in darkness in college, okay? I was doing a great job of pretending I wasn't in darkness. Only those who were in darkness with me realized it. Nobody else knew it, but I was. And I want you to know that this young man was instrumental in meeting me at a time of, of conviction. And that friend prayed with me and encouraged me. And, and, and I mean, I, I'll never forget it. I'll always see that. And in fact, I reminded him when I talked to him this week, I said, do you know, uh, do you won't remember? And I told him his story and he's like, man, I'm so glad to hear that. That's exciting. But I want you to understand a few years after I left Liberty, he was outed. Like he didn't have a chance to come out. He was told on and he was in a pretty prominent place of visibility. And I mean, you talking about hitting the fan? Boy, did it hit the fan when that spread, not just on campus, but all over the media. And he was saying, he was telling me about this and, and he said, Kevin, I just, when I got rejected by the church, I fell into drugs. I fell into the hookup situation. I fell into, man, I, I was, I had turned my heart against God when I got rejected by the church. And I said, tell me, what do you mean? Describe to me what being rejected by the church looked like. He said, well, and you got to remember, this is Jerry Falwell, Thomas Road Baptist Church. This is, this is Bible Belt, moral majority. If it's being said, Falwell's saying it, okay? This is in the middle of it. He said, Kevin, you know, when folks heard about it, they were all just, they were, it was like they were mad at me because I had let them down. Like some, and it was basically glass house idea. And it's like, it's like I, had, I had destroyed them, because of what I had done. And, and I said, well, what did you hear? He said, well, I heard things like, man, we got to get you some help. We got to get you some therapy. I'm like, well, what does that mean? He said, man, th- ther- the, the, the conversion therapy, the ex-gay movement was idea. If we, if we can just get enough Bible in you, you'll, st- you'll quit liking men. You'll start liking women again. That, that, I just don't believe that. That might not necessarily be true, but that's what, we got to get you some help, boy. But until then, you need to stay over here out of sight. You need to get out of, you need to get out of sight and cause, you know, we got Sundays coming. He said, you wouldn't believe. He said, I, I had one guy. He, and this was like, like a person of authority. Say to him, we probably need to look into some exorcism. Exorcism. Wow. That's, that's pretty bold. I don't find that in scripture anywhere. He said, but the most shocking was another leader said, Eric, I'm, I'm, willing to, I'm willing to pay for a couple of hookers because I think if maybe you just experienced. And I go, really? He said, Kevin, I, I wouldn't lie to you about that. 
He said, I felt reject. I felt broken. I felt unwanted. I felt like a throw. Unless I could get my act together, I had to get out of Dodge. I said, what happened? He said, well, I fell into more sin and more sin and more sin and more sin. And then I had a friend, and I know this friend too. He, well, I say he's a friend. He's an acquaintance. Good guy. Lived in, in Los Angeles. He said, this, this mutual friend, do you remember him? Yeah, I remember him. He said, he, he reached out to me and invited me to where he was at in Los Angeles just to kind of get away from it all. He said, I took him up on offer. I went, he said, man, I was brazen. I was broken. I didn't want to have anything to do with no church talk, but I'll come out to L.A. with you and hang out with you. That sounds like fun. He said, while we were there, his girlfriend, who was the promoter of DC Talk, none of y'all know who that is, but some of you do. Anyway, she was promoter of that Christian band, and she said, hey, we're having a Bible study. Bible study? I ain't going to no Bible study. She said, no, I think this will be good. I think you'll enjoy it. We're going to go, and our other mutual friend said, yeah, let's go check it out. You know, it's just a Bible study. We can leave if you don't like it. He said, I went to the Bible study. I had all of my, you know, I was, I was ready. I, I was ready to be that one. I was going to say something to just, if they tried to, da, da, da. He said, I sat down. I listened to the word, and he said, and at the end, they started talking about their struggles. And they started sharing their weaknesses, and they began to pray for one another. He said, I'm sitting there, and I don't know anybody. And this guy came and stood beside me and put his hands on my shoulder, and he said, "Uh, I don't pray for you. He said, and I I looked up at him. was like, okay, whatever. And he said, this guy looked around to the the rest of the congregation. He said, y'all, we're going to pray for him as the church should pray for him. Like, we're going to speak as the church. And he's going, here it comes. He said, I knew what he was going to say. He said, but he put his other hand on my shoulder and he said, Father, I thank you that you have brought this one who is hurting to us so that we might remind him of how much you love him. That we might remind him that he's no more broken than any one of us. I don't want to confess the sin of those who represent your son to the best way they know how that have completely treated him wrongly. And I want you to help him. I want you to help him to find you in his struggle. I want you to help him to know that he is loved by you and he will be loved by us. He said, Kevin, when he got done praying, he said, man, I'm sitting, I'm crying. I, he said, I'm crying ugly. You know, it's just, <laughs> I, he said, it's like all of those walls just come flat in, in the middle of Los Angeles, a little Bible study in the back room of a warehouse somewhere. And he said, I'm just sobbing. And he said, one after another, about 35 people, he said, one after another, they got up and they came and every one of them hugged me. He said, now, Kevin, they didn't do that church hug, you know, the, the side so that, you, you know, your chest don't touch. He said, no, no, that, that ain't what they did. They come, they grabbed me by the, by the neck and they pulled me in tight. He said, every last one of them hugged me, kissed me on the cheek and said, we are so glad you're here. I said, what'd that do for you, man? He goes, I remembered that I was loved. The rest of the story is irrelevant. It's, I mean, it's not irrelevant. It's, relevant, it's, not, it's irrelevant to what we're talking about. So we got a lot of things going on. There's a lot of stuff we don't understand. But here's what I think. I think for most of us in the church, the LGBT community has become the new leper colony. You know, we see them and we go, 
they're not going to say it, but in our mind, we're going, unclean, unclean. I don't, yeah, man, I ain't got nothing to do with y'all. Y'all are an abomination to the Lord. And, and we, got, we got baggage. So I almost want to share a few things with you. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, verse number 19, Andy says, Paul said, for though I am free from all, I have myself, I have made myself a servant to all. Why, Paul? That I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win some of those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to who? All people, that by all means, whatever it takes, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of what, class? The gospel. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. I won't read the rest of these. We have got to be committed as the church to love intentionally those that are identified as LGBTQ+. That doesn't mean we have to become that. I'm not saying that you march with the, the, the parades or that you stand for the act. Be active in the things that you believe in and that are in keeping with God's word. But we got to, who, who, who was Jesus accused of hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And who was that sinners? Prostitutes and, and sick folks and lepers. And Jesus was constantly being accused of hanging out with that crowd. You know why? Because he loves them. I'm going to read these and we'll be done. We, and when I say we, I mean the church. And if you're a part of the body of Jesus Christ, that means you. We must repent of the hatred that we have in our hearts towards the LGBT community. You say, I don't hate them. What do you think? Not what comes out of your mouth. What do you think? Every last one of us need to repent of that hatred. Guess what? That sin is equal to anything that we see as unsavable. That hatred is as much an abomination to God. You know why? Because God goes, how can you say you love me and hate him or her? We got to repent, confess, we must repent of our judgmentalism. We are not the judge. It is not our job. Now, we are called to judge the word of God. 
to consider what is right and what is wrong. There are things that we have to say, no, I cannot be okay with that. And that cannot happen. And by God's grace, we will do that in this church. But not only by God's grace, with God's grace. We got to repent of judgmentalism. We got to repent of thinking that our sin is in some way less offensive to God. We must repent of ignoring an entire community for whom Christ died. That demands repentance. We must refuse to see LGBT plus people through the lens of stereotypical activist. Not everyone who identifies in that group is a radical, hateful activist. Some of them are just people who are hurting and just need to know that Jesus loves them. And guess what? That's our job. And by the way, I know that was yelling. We must actively love. You know what I had written there? And I had to repent of it. I I had written earlier, we must seek to actively love. And I went, oh, no, 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 no. We're not going to seek to. We got to get in there. We must actively love the LGBT plus community as loved by God and worthy of discipleship, even if they're unwilling to say, I've decided that I'm not going to express myself that that way anymore. You know why we need to be willing to do that? Because we're trying to walk with one another in discipleship, and guess what? We haven't abandoned every problem we got to. They're worthy of the same opportunity. We got to engage. We must walk with families and individuals who are hurting and confused. How many families are experiencing secondary or primary hatred over something they didn't plan, they didn't ask for? You know what we got to do? We got to walk with them. We got to love them. We got to remind them that that's not the end of the world. Jesus is not going to write somebody or some family off because of that any more than he would write me off because of my issues. We must walk the line of compassion without bowing to the activist demand for affirmation. And by God's grace, we will walk that line. We will walk the line of, of pure compassion. And at the same time, we will refuse to affirm what God's word cannot affirm. We'll walk that line. We must never let political issues be louder than our love. What have you posted most recently about whatever court case is going on or whatever? Has that spoken more loudly than your love? Vote for what is right. Do for what is is correct, but let love be seen above all. And if you're not sure what that looks like, 1 Corinthians 13, it's in all your Bibles and every translation. Read it, do what it says. 
But don't ever let politics be louder than I love. We must remain true to Scripture. We must exercise grace like Jesus. And we must expect to be misunderstood. We must expect to be hated. And we must expect to be persecuted because of it. Look at Jesus. Yet what did he do? He waded out into the middle and he demonstrated pure love without reservation. Lastly, we must be a church where people know they're loved and can be transparent about their struggles. And can I tell you something? As long as I have the privilege of standing on this stage, we will be a church where people can expect to be loved, where people can be transparent about what their struggles they've got and where people will know that Jesus will meet them right in the middle of that struggle. And and can I just say something in a way that I don't always say it? If that don't jihaw with you, you're at the wrong place because that's what we're going to do. Does that make sense? Okay. Well, let's talk about the LGBTQ plus situations. Let's just do it with the love of Jesus and the grace of Jesus and let's bring him into the conversation because when we do that well folks get drawn to him and isn't that what we all need amen well let's stand together we'll pray you guys have been a great audience it's hard to say all I had written down in 45 minutes that's why I took longer we love you church listen if you're here today And you go, man, I I just don't know that I've ever trusted Jesus as my Savior. I don't even really know what that means. Can I tell you something? Jesus Christ, God the Son, died in your place. That crucifixion and resurrection that we celebrate around Easter, that was for a purpose. That was to deal with your sin and my sin and to forgive us completely and wholly so that we might be made right with God. And that can happen if by faith you'll trust him and him alone crucified in your place, risen for your forgiveness. If that's something that you'd say, I'd like to know more about that, then I'll be here till everybody's gone. I'd love to tell you more about it, but right now in your heart, you can say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe you died to save me. I believe you're alive, and I just want to trust you and you alone to be my Lord, to be the Savior of my soul. Then you too can begin to represent Jesus in the communities that you live in. Father, I thank you for the day. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to just hear from you, to look to your word. God, I thank you for the Holy Spirit who is going to show us how that we uh, can engage, how that we can love, how that we can represent, hold to the truth, yet represent Jesus in a difficult arena. I believe that the Holy Spirit will show us what to post, what not to post. I believe the Holy Spirit will show us what to say and what not to say. And God, I pray that if we ask that you will show us how to bring love first, I believe that you'll do it. If we'll just respond, then we'll bring love to the table. When we bring love to the table, then that's an arena that Jesus will work in. So I pray that you'll forgive us, give us the courage to repent individually of what needs to be repented and confessed. Give us the courage to step out different with a new attitude. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said.